Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bald Move Television Podcast. We're the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And today we are putting the deuce to bed. We had the final episode, episode 209, Inside the Pretend, that we watched this weekend. And we're here to talk about it. Jim, what did you think of, I guess, this episode, but how it kind of put a bow on the season as well? Yeah, I mean... It was definitely doing that. You can see in that final shot, it's just, you know, setting everything up for the five-year jump or however long we go, uh, assuming there's going to be a jump. I really enjoyed this episode. I thought, you know, it's not as exciting as the previous episode. Uh, Ashley, you know, turns up dead, but we don't get to see it. There's no action uh, like CeCe's death last week. But I don't know. It it, it kind of... I, I'm really happy that they put a bow on that for Lori so that we can move into the next phase of Lori. Because she, I, I didn't want her stuck for five years looking over her shoulder. Right. It would be sort of like tragic and poetic and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I like to see what comes next, especially as she ventures out into California yeah. uh, and the porn scene out there. So really good stuff there. Um, we kind of leave Abby and Vincent sort of still in the wind here. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what is going to become of them. Vincent, obviously, in this episode, lamenting the the status of their relationship currently but they are still together and they are at the end of this episode so i don't know that anything changed there uh but the probably the most interesting thing for me was the mafia connections to the movie because mm-hmm. we didn't know before what the horse's cut was right but holy shit it's 90 percent. yeah yeah that's pretty crazy yeah so i i don't know it what do you think about it i mean that that's so mob that <laughs> the mafia's financial backing is 115 percent yeah yeah i <laughs> like those numbers add up well I, none of it added up like you look at yeah. um 90 percent goes to the horse right? right and they knew that that was going to happen right uh, presumably harvey wants his cut which is 10 percent. the the company mm-hmm. uh where does frankie fit in there did frankie ever have a shot of getting anything out of that film not once he gave up 25 points i think i mean you know, harvey said as much like the guy that uh that eileen blew out in california is not going to get his cut uh, he might yeah. get a horse head in his bed if he squawks about it. Uh-huh. Uh, Frankie not getting his cut, although no. he is getting his beak wet. Uh, yeah, he gets a consol- conciliatory job. Right, right. The the go back at the collecting quarters of the peep show. Mm. Um, I I really like this episode too. I thought this was a phenomenal season. Um, yeah. and it it's it's uh it, it felt it felt good to watch. Uh, I was surprised that there's a lot of things that they were setting up. Like I thought the whole time when they're getting ready for the premiere and everybody's talking about how this is like getting all this buzz and everyone's talking about how this is going to be like a art house hit. If it was, I, I thought that, well, the mob is just going to fuck with this movie. <laughs> they're going to wa- I thought there's going to be a scene of like uh-huh. candy being aghast at what they've done to her baby. Mm-hmm. That, didn't actually uh that didn't actually play play out um there which i thought was fears. interesting yeah a lot of fears going into that scene for me too uh opening just just matter of fact finding a dorothy had been slain uh mm-hmm. and and what's interesting is when they're talking about 
the the banter of the cops this season has been largely you know misogynistic uh, homophobic you know, all that kind of so when they were talking about oh i can't tell if it's a man or woman because of the clothes i thought they were actually talking about cc i thought this was cc's body oh yeah and that he had somehow dorothy's purse on him and that he was that explains kind of his manic energy in the last the last scene that we saw him in that he was kind of trying to frame her for something hmm. uh but that you know obviously that didn't happen so i was a little confused for the first 15 20 minutes but once the thing uh, settled in there's so many just classic uh simon Pe- pelicano stuff like um how relatively hilarious uh rodney's hold up of the <laughs> pharmacy was uh-huh. as, as hilarious as a double homicide or i guess homicide uh, suicide by cop can be yeah just him being completely out of it, him not being able to, like, with his tight pants, not be able to get over the counter and kind of have to roll <laughs> over that. And Ralph Macchio's kind of, like, in disbelief that, that he's just gotten in the gunfight. And it's so it's it's also so David Simon to have this guy now lauded as a hero. The, the biggest shit. Right. The biggest waste of skin on the deuce is now, you know, untouchable. Yeah, and you're stuck with him in your district. <laughs> Yeah, like like Chris said, like you know, not not only is he a fucking hero, but if anyone doubts that, he can just you know take off his shirt and say, "Look at this! You got one of these!" Like, right? Uh, it's it's uh, it, it was a great. I thought it was a great way to 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 end it. Um, and you know, the change between like Eileen coming into Club Three Sixty Six at the beginning of this season, uh, like just 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 gliding in all elegant and Vince with the big smile on his face. And you see at the end of this episode, you know, Eileen has been cut off from her son. I'm not sure how Mm -hmm. much of that's her son's idea, how much of it is her dickhead father's, but that's happened. And Vince, you know, the scene hasn't changed. 366 is still popping. There's still a lot of people moving and grooving, big smiles on their face, dancing disco music. But the guy in the middle not not quite as happy uh is is troubled by what he's seen going on and and the things that it's doing to his family i yeah again i thought it was a great a great season of television Uh, i wish more people appreciated it in its time uh because still it's it's still not exactly burning up the ratings but who cares (laughs) sure it's a great show uh they're still gonna finish it uh i hope it come back uh, uh, i hope it comes back next next year and it's uh, they finish strong i'm i'm honestly that's the thing i mean clearly they're setting up with the vcr demonstration like the future Mm -hmm. right but it's hard for me to understand how the 80s version of the deuce is going to be nearly as as fun or transformative or colorful as it's been in the its 70s incarnation yeah i don't i don't know if it will be um yeah. i mean the the core tension i imagine will probably be between the new interest coming into the area and the old interest being pushed out mm-hmm. uh and i mean i got to imagine there's a lot of mob pushback in that regard uh, I have to imagine that this is going to be a battle of law versus outlaws, you know? Well, and even the law might be divided against itself. Cause I don't, I yeah. think we're supposed to understand it when Chris was brought in, you know, he's not seeing the danger here, but his supervisors are basically, Hey, any of those things that Gene is say, talking about doing like fucking with politicians money or real estate developers money uh maybe you give us a heads up so just we can protect ourselves bullshit yeah they're gonna protect they're gonna protect who's lying in their pockets Mm -hmm. like 
Chris is going to appreciate that this this street bribery game that Ralph Macchio and his dead partner has been playing has been played uh, all up the chain of command yeah. at a much grander, more higher stakes, more protected level. Mm-hmm. So I guess you're right. You know, it's going to be instead of the pimps versus the cops versus the, you know, hustlers and all that, it's going to be mob versus cops versus politicians versus the hustlers trying to trying to stay alive. I mean, that seems like the broader story. We've got to keep a lot of our characters around, right? So where yeah. does Vincent fit into this? Where does Abby fit into this? Where does, uh, you know, so many of our other characters fit in? Uh, Bobby, <laughs> what mm. the fuck is he going to do? Uh, it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really want to talk about this episode in detail. Are we ready for that? Yeah, let's do that. Who do you want to start with? Right before we get into the meat of the episode, though, Jim, I wanted to remind people about what's going on here at BaldMove.com. It's all about the season of the cage. This is uh, we're in the middle of what we are calling our first super serious film festival, where it's a it's a themed kind of uh, virtual film festival around a particular subject. And this subject is the the career of one Nicolas Cage. Uh, He's been in a lot of great movies. He's also been in a lot of shitty ones. And we're kind of considering that spectrum of his career. This week, we consider one of his better ones, Adaptation. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a movie about making a movie that's an adaptation about a, movie, about a book about plants. And it's funny, and it's kind of poignant. It says a lot of interesting things about Hollywood and neurosis, and we had a lot of fun with it. There is a, a, a podcast discussion. There is some video content on YouTube. There is a, some bonus material for club members. Check that out on baldmove.com. Also, we are going through uh, Matt Weiner's Amazon project, The Romanovs. We do that every Monday. It kind of just released on A new episode is released each week on uh, Fridays on Amazon. Cecily and I are doing American Horror Story still. There's a couple more episodes left. Wednesday night we have the instant take, and Friday we consider feedback. Jim and I on the Bald Movies feed saw Bohemian Rhapsody last week, and it was a lot of fun. We had a lot. Of, the film got mixed reviews, but we we enjoyed the hell out of it. And this week we're seeing the World War II flavored horror film Overlord. I have no idea what to expect, but it looks awesome. Also, uh, if you are missing Game of Thrones in your life, it's been a few months since Jim and I revisited the topic. I am resurrecting the feed for a couple of weeks here to talk about my book, Gods of Thrones, and also George Martin's new book, Fire and Blood, which is a history about Targaryens. Um, and I've got a couple of podcast hosts helping me out. First couple of weeks, uh, my co-author uh, of Gods of Thrones, Anthony Ladon, who's a religious scholar, is joining. And we're talking about the book and religion of Game of Thrones in general and and uh, having some fun. I'm really looking forward to some new material from George later on this month because Fire and Blood, I believe, comes out November 19th. And we'll be dividing that book up into three parts and, and discussing it. Uh, Joanna Robinson said she'd come on the podcast and talk about it. Kim Renfro from The Insider. A lot of cool stuff. Check it out on the Game of Thrones feed. And that's what's happening here at BaldMove.com. Uh, let's start with the murder of Ashley Dorothy. Okay. okay. Uh, are we... 100% sure that it's actually CC. A lot of people jumped to that conclusion this episode. Uh but no. I, but I don't know that it's factual. It's no, just I think CC I think I think CC died. Uh I, I think he sincerely said no don't do this cuz it's going to bring the heat and then he died and then that was literally the only voice of reason in the the pimp circle. Okay. Good. So they decided <laughs> to I don't know who exactly did it, but yeah. but the decision was made and and it was executed. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And a lot of people are jumping to conclusions that it's CC. Right. I don't know how that plays back in or if it does at all. Because, like I said, with the the time jump, things are going to change. And also, 
who like who's gonna care right like the right. assumptions that they make push certain people out of the game like it pushes uh one of larry's girls out i, I don't remember her name uh like loretta loretta yeah, yeah that's her name uh pushes her out and i think you know cc's death has some ramifications on Lori for the for the better yeah and plus they've already said like i think you're supposed to understand cc's word is kind of like gospel that like you kill a civilian especially some that's been an activist trying to improve things and it's going to bring down the hammer i mean mm -hmm. the uh midtown enforcement project is is the hammer that's already kind of like swinging backwards ready to cock itself now you look at all the bodies that are being dropped on the strip this you know mm -hmm. cc he hasn't been found yet but uh you know dorothy carlos uh there's a lot of mob and sex worker violence has been going on this year and that's that's the thing that's what will eventually um you know they're not i don't know how keen they're going to be to like stop the actual prostitution drugs and mafia stuff but they'll certainly want to be putting pressure on people that are you know the nails their their heads are sticking up a little bit higher than 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 the others um mm -hmm. and uh yeah, I, I feel like that you're supposed to understand that that's just ratcheting up all the pressure. Yeah. Uh, so what does this do to Abby? You well, know, she she's very much affected by Dorothy's death. Yeah, and I loved how they revealed that where they used the band warming up in the background. So her reaction is just like ill-tuned guitars and banging drums playing <laughs> out of it. Like it's it's like this emotional discordance that played beautifully for the scene. But um, it seems like that Vince is continuing to give her his cut of the peep show and mm -hmm. the, the brothel business. And we see her, you know, she's been she's been she's been torn this this season between like, you know, Dorothy's dashing and daring do versus Dave. Uh, was it Dave? Yeah. yeah. Dave's uh, kind of like steady top down versus bottom up. She's got a pile of money, which in a small, you know, and in, in, in focused in a very small neighborhood that can do a lot like I and they made a big point of her being smart and having skills that some of these other women don't have because uh, of her education and the, and the privileged background she comes from. And I feel like that we're going to see book smart. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like uh, says. Loretta can uh, can articulate a problem with humanity that yeah. is endemic to the deuce, but she can't quite articulate the details nor the solution. But uh -huh. Abby could be that person. I, I think they're setting up Abby to, for like a political run. Uh, oh, and, okay. And that, that's what I think is going to be, you know, we're going to come in her um, as as well into her city councilman days or uh, councilwoman days. I, I'm not sure, but I think that's what there's that she's got money. She's got political ambitions and she's already got a base <laughs> of support in the street. So campaign financed by the mob. Yeah. Indirectly. <laughs> sure. That's one way to launder money. <laughs> That's what New York needs in the 70s to clean itself up. Were you surprised to, as we, to stay on Abby for a little bit? Were you surprised to see Vincent kind of back with his ex-wife? And I, I I felt like he was sniffing. Like he was... A little bit? Yeah, I, I caught a whiff of it, sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but, but it's like, you know, like he said, he's more self-aware. It's like, look, I, I do want the kids and the house and the car and the woman and the picket fence, but I also want to be the center of the universe and never sleep. 
Yeah. And <laughs> I know that as long as that guy is still in me, then I, mm-hmm. then the other guy I can't it's not it's not responsible to try to to try to be the other guy. Which yeah, is for sure. that is a pretty mature like uh-huh. outlook. A lot of human misery would be would be conserved if if everyone was that kind of mature about what they want and what they need out of life and, and priorities, you know? Yeah, I mean, the very least, he's being introspective here and understanding himself to the degree, because I feel like five years ago in season one, old Vincent comes into this living room and he's really putting the moves on her, you know, making promises mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and just talking a big game to this woman to try to get back with her. And then he does, and six months later, he realizes, oh, fuck, I, I would... This is not what I wanted. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not this guy. I need to go leave again, and he'd be out the door, you know? There was, there was something lamenting about how Abby, in a lot of ways, has outgrown Vince, too, where he's saying, you know, she used to be this young thing, and she's, like, you know, mm-hmm. wide eyes, and there's this big world, and I was kind of her introduction to all that, and now he says, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, she knows more about it than me, which I thought was, was, was kind of interesting, because the other thing is, like, Vince isn't dumb, no, he chooses to be dumb, and there's a lot of interesting contrast here between. Um, I don't know if I can. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and try it anyway. Like Abby getting the news uh, that Dorothy's been killed, and she's devastated. And the way they cut the scene is it's it's Big Mike and Vincent kind of having a philosophical discussion about ass assholery and assholdom mm-hmm. you know what what does it mean and they're kind of it's it's this you know like a brand like a branding cigars talk about how the world works versus these women who are being used and ground up in it and then they cut to abby show her reaction then they cut back to vince and he and mike start are just just having a big old laugh and I felt like they're trying to tell us something about, you know, the reality of situations for people. Like, mm-hmm. uh, the Vince is smart enough if he wanted to apply himself to maybe do better, but he is entangled in the mob money, and in a lot of ways, he just doesn't want to see this stuff. He wants to be the guy that just takes off the Vermont and puts his head in the ground, it seems like. Yeah. And he doesn't like when he, you know, is burying one dead hooker. And then he goes and sees his brother-in-law still hasn't put the headstone of the last dead hooker that he was involved in. Like uh, that, you know, that 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 bums him out. And he says, "Hey, we we can do better." But how much better can you be if you've got that mob that mob money entanglement? Yeah, I mean that's the big complication in basically everything in Vincent's life. Uh, I I do want to say I think Vincent is doing a pretty good job of navigating the sort of uh, the, the waters that he's in. In the moment, like, I I think he wants to meet Abby somewhere in the middle. He's trying to understand, you know, the things that she cares about. Uh, He can't do much about it because he's got a life to run, right? A life that's entangled with the mob, and they do not let go of that string. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, I I think he's doing the best he can. And like you said, he's a smart guy. I, I don't think he's like willing to go all the way and join Abby hand in hand being a feminist activist or anything like that, Mm -hmm. uh, or an activist against prostitution or get into the politics of it all. But I think he's been remarkably understanding in letting her do the things that she wants to do and giving her the things that he can to help, Mm -hmm. uh, for, for like a sort of backwards kind of guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird character to root for, but I think it's well worth rooting for him, certainly over, like, Frankie. 
Do you want to talk? Uh, let's. I guess let's stay on this family because uh, I want to talk about Frankie, but I also want to talk about Bobby, who mm. appears to be aging in dog years. Yeah, like, it's remarkable how much older he looked in this episode than he even did an episode or two ago. I mean, a lot has gone on this season for him, <laughs> uh, to, to to say the least. But um, I don't know. It's it's interesting that he he at, at this point in the game when. I mean, what am I trying to say here? Why is he so freaked out about the Carlos death? Because is it just because it, it's just illustrating that unless you have skin in the game, that you can ignore all kinds of manners of other things like women getting burned alive in buildings because of mob violence um, and pimps getting killed. But when, you know, someone uh, someone close to you gets hit, and the fact that it was kind of like this is your guy that took the order, and maybe he's just now. Maybe it's the problem is he's just now realizing that he is in the mob. Mm-hmm. Like there's no just like oh I'm mob adjacent yeah. or I'm I'm just taking a check. It's like nah, you actually have a mob soldier working security for you, and that he would absolutely put a bullet in your brain if they told him to. Yeah, and I think Bobby realizes, like we talked about last episode, how much he fucks up. And if he fucks up in the wrong kind of way, here comes Black Frankie, you know, uh, on orders of the mob. So I think this is driven by a deep, a deep seated fear and knowledge of his own uh, shortcomings Mm -hmm. and that he can't play this game for very long without slipping up and getting killed. Right, right. Um, it's just, uh, but it's, it's so weird cause he's so concerned about himself and like neither him nor Vincent can even remember the name of the, uh, the prostitute that they buried. And, you know, they had that little scene of Dorothy and, and Dave going around trying to find her like mm-hmm. again, the, the myopia, the myopia that they suffer from. And he's even like. It's such a big contrast to see his son. I'm really interested to see what his son Joey ends up doing um, in five years because, mm-hmm. you know, Bobby went from you can't, you know, like 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 you got to go. This kid got kicked out of school, puts him to work at the peep shop, but the the not the peep show, the massage parlor, but tries to put like all these restrictions or rules around him, and now his son is just openly squiring around women that have been banned from the massage parlors for rob from Robin Johns and whatnot. Like Bobby just doesn't really care. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's there's something something broke about him on the on on the inside. You know, a guy who just wanted to swing a hammer and be on construction until he had to run a bad health, and now he's turned into a pimp of sorts. Now he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a that's a lot of a lot of uh, territory to travel for for a guy in a few amount of years. Yeah, Bobby makes a lot of bad decisions, and he knows the bad decisions, and he does them anyway. Uh, and it gets him where it gets him, and that's why he's scared. Uh, I'm just very very surprised that Vincent made it out this or not Vincent, sorry, Frankie made it out this season. Oh yeah, I really thought the whole season they were they were painting a target on his back lampshaded last episode when he's talking about uh his his wealthy uh benefactor <laughs> that uh yeah you know, i just don't i don't i don't see frankie uh i don't what is his name morello or whatever I don't, I don't see him growing old uh i'm very surprised to see him a back <laughs> in the mob and b safe and secure see his his wife is back with him now 
but uh, may- yeah, at the premiere anyway, sure. Maybe that's just to try to get a starring role in the yep. next the next gig. That's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, and Harvey's like, no, no, fuck all this. You're never going to be a producer again. Like, what is the what is the best way I can tell you this without without destroying the premiere? Yeah, uh, but yeah, I don't know, Frankie. He's fun, but what what future does he have in the show? I mean, maybe is this going to be the comic relief? Yeah, I mean, we talked last episode about the ironic twist here would be that Frankie lives and Vincent doesn't. Uh, and I, I think that's still a possibility for both of them. Uh, Frankie seems to float around these circles with a lot less care than Vince does, mm-hmm. but also it somehow seems effortless at the same time. Like, y- you look at how the mob handled this, right? It Frankie... <laughs> set up this whole scenario where the horse and Rudy were getting screwed out of their money. Mm-hmm. And somehow he comes through it clean as a whistle with, right. uh, with a fucking job on the side. Like, I don't think Vincent does that. Like Vincent fucks up in that way. I think Rudy holds him accountable, but Frankie just somehow it is, floats through it. Yeah. It's like Rudy does like his comic characters. <laughs> yeah. He does yeah. like his kind of, uh, you know, B team squad of, of fuck ups and, and goofballs that... until they start flapping their lips like Carlos. Did. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like that's where it's like, it stops being amusing to him, but it does seem like that. He... I think Marty's got it right. Like these mob guys really enjoy rolling up their sleeves and fucking people. Yeah. And it's a good old time for them to squeeze these two bit adult <laughs> performers and directors and producers and sad sacks. Like, like, Frankie, it's mm-hmm. just a lot of fun for them. It's so weird that so many of our preseason predictions about, uh, you know, Rudy getting soft and how that was going to be a big deal with the mob war, like all that stuff seemed like it's been swept under the carpet. And yeah. I don't, you know, isn't there something in the 80s? Maybe you know about this more than me, but, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of Gambino crime family, you know, the. the there's there was a lot of testimony and a lot of guys going to witness protection and like in the mid to late nineties that there's a lot of uh, a big bite was taken out of uh, uh, the Italian side of the mafia in in mm. New York City. It's what it's maybe they're they're setting up that they're getting they're 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 getting soft in respects to war with each other, but they're not they're not understanding that there's like a federal and state level noose that's 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 closing around their necks. I mean, they should when they see. Uh, what's his face's headquarters open up? Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> they should get the idea that the the feds are moving in here. But why would they? Because they always they've always been able to buy these people off. Yeah, you know no, that's it's, fair. It's uh, they, it's it's like Loretta says. There's something about the human brain or the human condition that always set these things up. It's because people mm-hmm. fundamentally think short term. You know, yeah, uh, they 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 want money and they want pleasure and they want comfort and they want safety and they will trade uh, a lot of ethics and principle and, you know, citizenship to to get those things on a regular basis. So Mm -hmm. Uh, while we're on the mob money, we got to talk about the film, right? Yeah, which turned out to be not super interesting. There was almost... (laughs) Like, I, I really okay. thought there would be something, uh, some twist, but it seems like they've told us for the last five or so episodes, film's going to be a big hit, mm-hmm. it's really going to make a big splash, and the film seems to be making a big splash and being a big hit. <laughs> You're right. I, I expected some kind of twist. We didn't get it. I guess the twist here is 
and it's not even a twist because the audience knew basically already mm-hmm. that two mob families are mixed up in this and they're gonna have to figure out how to deal with that but even then like there's no rough stuff like I, no, there's not. I, I, I thought that was going to be a collision course that was going right. to end up in bodies and bonfires and structure fires. But it's it's if anything, I, I got this. I got the sense of Rudy and the horse are kind of just it's a big joke to them. Uh-huh. Like they, 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 they this is uh, like this is the equivalent of when we first started podcasting and it was like we had our day jobs that sucked. And then we were able to do this this crazy thing at night. And I feel like this is their crazy thing that. You know, yeah. they're just fucking around and it's all low stakes. Who gives a shit? They're making tons of money. What's, uh-huh. It's 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 all fun and games. And I'm not seeing where it's not going to be fun and games for the foreseeable future. <laughs> no, I mean, if you look at, OK, you need 75 grand to throw a stage play or whatever. Throwing 25 grand at a movie seems like nothing for them. Yeah. And they got the parlors and they got the clubs and bars and everything. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I was surprised, too, that. There weren't any fireworks there. Um, but now everybody is back where they were at the beginning of this mixed up with the mob, mm-hmm. right? Like Frankie is back in it. Uh, most importantly, Eileen is back in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harvey never never really left it, mm-hmm. but <laughs> definitely in deeper than he's ever been before. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't think that can go well over five years. I mean, the other thing I forgot about is the mob has their hooks in Lori too. Right. I forgot all about that. So they're moving out. They're exporting some business. Uh, I don't know what this looks like in five years. Do I don't we come either. back and Harvey's studio is just ruined because the mob has sucked all the money out of it. Or is, is it, it bigger than or ever? Is it going to be? Yeah. He doesn't get there, any benefit from it. He's go. miserable like Vincent. Like, yeah. yeah. What is the what is going to happen with this mob and the movies? Because if they jump forward th- four to five years, which is what is kind of speculated, like that's still kind of the golden age of porn. You know, sure. like yeah. it's uh, I and it's just a weird timeline because it's it's also interesting to see Harvey like so excited about the VCR and how like porn's going to be bigger than ever. And he's kind of right. And he's wrong because porn makes just a shit ton of money, but it makes a shit ton of money for very few people that are all online. And the big lavish product, like, like the idea that porn, if, if ever, if it just got out and it was more accessible, that it would be this respectable thing, a disrespectable art form that still hasn't come to pass, man. If anything, being able to watch porn in your the privacy of your home has made it weirder and more underground. Yeah, I guess there's no reason to hand out awards uh, because there aren't any big marquees up. In I lights, mean, they still you know? do it. There's still like the AVN do, awards yeah. that they do in Vegas every year. But I mean, that's more of like a who trade cares? show. Than, yeah. yeah, like I fuck. <laughs> I couldn't tell you who won the AVNs. I've never been. I've never watched it. And yeah. who? Yeah, like you said, who cares? It's uh, and then again, there's almost no. Uh, and I know there are some like porn auteurs doing interesting things uh, and trying to make quote unquote good porn, but even then they're not they're not telling big stories. They're not doing you know genre pieces. It's just more <laughs> emotionally ground and well lit and shot porn with with people who are less acting and more you know having a genuine experience it's it's not like they're making citizens kane out of uh, for for porn and i don't know maybe maybe that's the thing is the the porn genre is just fundamentally different you can get adjacent to porn and you can make an oscar out of boogie nights oh right you can be soderberg and do the girlfriend experience and like there's porn adjacent stuff but like that 
porn isn't so much a genre of entertainment as it is a completely it's its own complete different thing mm-hmm. you know it's 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 not quite entertainment and it's not quite a sport it's kind of you know <laughs> it, it's 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 very utilitarian it, it's like uh company instructional videos right like onboarding videos (laughs) like nobody's nobody's gonna win awards for those they definitely get made and they're ubiquitous and everywhere right Right. but who cares yeah i mean they they do seem like the artistic merit is beside the point because right the, the utilitarian nature you watch it to get off yeah you know you don't watch it the way you watch the deuce or the wire or better call saul where it's just you know a pleasure in and in and of itself so I don't know. Like I, I, I just, I, I asked that earlier this season. I've been thinking about it, and I, I just more and more I think about it is like I just think that we've misclassified pornography as an art form. You can have erotic art for sure, mm-hmm. and you can have art with erotic themes. But who the fuck is going to tell a conventional story and then every fifteen minutes put a fucking suck scene in there? That's the thing. I'm, I'm firmly of the opinion that Harvey is right about his classification of porn. You know, his categorization of it. These are not art films and candy eileen succeeds despite that Mm -hmm. but she's not making a porn film right she's making a mainstream movie about power uh and and feminism and she's disguising it as porn because that's what she makes and And that's that's what what she can can get made get funded right right she doesn't want to make a porn movie and it's just like you know the music videos in the 80s were like this lower form of entertainment but it launched a lot of people's careers because they were able to have the freedom to dabble and be discovered and there was there was this uh, experiment new market that opened up that had this talent vacuum that they're able to to you know go in there and make their bones and to move on to bigger and better things uh you know but the thing is I'm sure there was a stigma to music videos um, and, and making the transition like when guys like Michael Bay started doing it. But uh, it's nothing like the stigma of working no. uh, like being a porn director, let alone a porn performer. Mm-hmm. And that was like I, I thought it was telling when Candy was on that late night show. Yeah, let's talk about that. She was just like she said, she was just a butt <laughs> of this guy's jokes. She was for, you know, 15 minutes or however long she was on. Yeah, uh, it. It felt awkward. You could see it all over her face. Um, and then the ramifications of that. Like, when I when I heard that there's the VHS scene, um, and then he tells them, hey, you're going to be on network. She, He tells Candy you're going to be on network television. Uh, I was thinking, okay, this is, this is a do-or-die moment. She has to tell her kid. Mm-hmm. She has to, because her face is going to be on right. every TV across the nation at 10 p.m., 9 p.m., whatever it is. This kid is going to find out. Mm-hmm. And he did, but she disregarded the whole idea of telling him of mm-hmm. giving him advance warning you know yeah and so when the bullies come and they start picking fun of his mom and mm-hmm. saying oh she's a prostitute and oh she fucks guys for on screen and he in in my opinion what happened here is he was defending her honor probably and he got in a fight and you know got a black eye maybe kick some kid's ass mm-hmm. i hope uh but she, he was not prepared for that no and I feel like that is her fault. She, sh- I, I, The first thing that popped in my head was tell your kid. Yeah, and the thing is that that's been a theme to the season is that she has kind of always, oh, if I take this next step, what's it going to mean for my son? This is the first time where she's just like didn't it, it didn't even it, she didn't it didn't even think it didn't even occur to her to yeah. worry about what that reaction would be. Like she is in the mode of I'm big and I want to make a splash and didn't mm-hmm. really care you know who who got hurt and i it's 
man, that scene where she's having it out her dad on the front step and she kind of has a breakdown over it. And I, just the way it was shot where, you know, Candy like looks up at her son's window and he's not there. And then she goes away. Like there's this like the ship's passing in the night because he comes to the window to watch her walk away. And then it looks like she's not going to turn around. So he walks away from the window just as he does pretty much as soon as he disappears from the window she turns back and looks one last time yeah like man if any of those things had had overlapped by a second do you think <laughs> what could have been salvaged from their relationship and i'm not saying their relationship is like permanently on the rocks or anything but it's just like certainly her mom and dad are trying to draw this iron curtain around mm-hmm. the boy and protect him from his, his crazy porno mom yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure this kid has a lot of uh, complicated feelings. Like, I, you know, jeez, uh, <laughs> you ever think about I, I actually have thought about that the older I get, you know, what do people do after porn? Mm, like yeah. now, especially since it's so ubiquitous, like I, you hear about, you know, these women and, and even men retiring and they do other things and. Uh, like what, what do they do with their kids, man? Because mm-hmm. even if you would grow up to be a fairly egalitarian, high-minded libertine, like, you know, do, do, do what you want as long as there's a hurt anybody type, it's gotta be pretty hard to have that thrown in your face as a kid. Yeah. I or mean, to even contextualize, like, what the hell does that even mean as a as a eleven or a ten year old or or even younger? Like, you know, when when is it when is the right time to find out your mom was a porn actress mm-hmm. or still might be a porn actress with the whole milf category stretching people's careers uh, longer than that than they used to be? <laughs> so, no, it's it's interesting because Darlene is also kind of caught up in that too, right? Mm. In this episode, she's working at her job, and some guy comes in and sees her and recognizes her and she has to make a big scene uh and she realizes oh shit this is something that's going to affect me for a long time and i can't just hide from it um and so she goes and tells this guy who she's dating now i starting to yeah starting starting to date yeah uh tells him about Mm -hmm. it you know Mm -hmm. because uh, honestly it's the only thing you can do right Uh, i mean what are you gonna do wait for him to find out on his own then it gets weird yeah Wait till the kids beat him up in high in, in school, <laughs> right? In class, they're adult night glasses. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So there are two people struggling with that right now, and I think I, honestly, I'm more fascinated by Eileen's story, I guess, than I am Darlene's. But I also like Darlene's, and especially where it crosses over with Larry. Um, they they have a really great scene in this episode. They do, and I, I, him, her leveling with her now. I think for real boyfriend written, I thought was really sweet, and the fact that he's, mm-hmm. you know, was very kind to her, and the through line that they had about Larry, like, like Darlene has laid this nice foundation, so she's able to have built herself a little, you know, cushion for when she leaves the life. Mm-hmm. But she couldn't have done that if Larry is on his A game. Because, like, yep. it, it seems like that's one of the jobs of pimp is, like, I you got to stay completely dependent on you. I don't want you getting your GED. I don't want mm-hmm. you applying for jobs. I don't want you going to school. Certainly don't want you dating anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that, But the reason she's been able to slowly kind of shift into the civilian life is because Larry kept, let, let his eye off the ball. Yeah. Uh, he got his eye on acting. But that was great. I thought that scene where they both kind of leveled with each other, and he's kind of like, you're going to leave without saying goodbye, and her kind of like, hey, man, your heart's not in this. My heart's not in this. Let's just... Mm-hmm. It, it is what it is. And it was kind of, uh, I guess, as sweet as a goodbye as a pimp can have with his uh, <laughs> his lady. For sure. Yeah. 
It's so weird because I remember Larry being the scariest one last year. Uh-huh. Uh, just because I, I felt like, you know, I've said this again, like I felt like he was the one that's fundamentally dumb, and I feel like dumb people are are, are unpredictable and can prone to be vicious, but I don't know, saw a whole new side. I, I don't know whether maybe they weren't quite sure what they're going to do with Larry because I do feel like they've intentionally teddy-bared him a bit this, this mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Um, versus, like, you know, CC calculating cold he's always been kind of a vicious guy um but but larry yeah he's uh and did you think did you take it that he was actually going for legit roles now yeah that's that's he's, how i was trying to get on starsky and hutch or something like that something like that yeah yeah because that that's uh i saw some debate about whether that might be but it felt like he was reading for a traditional role and doing yeah. pretty good because that's the thing we found out about. Like Larry's a pretty good actor. He's got some natural charisma and, and talent. Uh, this pimping stuff is, has given him a certain skill set that that translates well onto the screen. Uh, I got to talk about Paul. Paul, yes, is making the biggest mistake of his life. Paul has is he? by the grace of whatever God hates the mafia <laughs> has been able to get out of the mafia's clutches. Out from under Vince, uh, get his own damn place, and now he's taking money from the mob to fulfill the dream of someone that he cares about. And I get it; that's nice, but dude, you are fucking up. I don't. I think. I mean, I don't. I. I. I don't. I don't know what to say because I felt like this is pretty safe. I know. When, I when know. you see Tommy saying, no, that's not how it works. Once you're in it, we're in for the long run here. I mean, they're going to have his hand in his pocket, but unlike, you know, Paul, Paul's not going to be asked to go shoot someone's head, but he's going to blow someone's head off. You <laughs> no, know? of course not. But he might have somebody come after him if he decides to stop paying. But I or they might ask him a favor or two. Yeah, you know? like, I will say that the longer he went without taking the mob money, the more like every year that goes by that he runs a clean outfit that that is going to be that puts a little distance between him and Rudy and any kind of mafia violence probably won't get you know suck him in but I you know I there I I do think that you're supposed to understand maybe is that the cleanup that's going to be going on in Manhattan over the next decade or two is going to push in Hmm. these kind of in like environments out but I don't know because like I'm honestly I'm speaking a lot of ignorance because uh it does feel like that the theater was a haven for mm-hmm. uh, people that were gay, regardless of the decade, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I mean, I-, I could be wrong about that. And, I mean, hell, I grew up as a hayseed hick in Mooresville, Indiana. So all this shit, the only shit I know about uh, th- this era of history is stuff I've learned from watching HBO and The Deuce and things <laughs> like that. But mm-hmm. I-, I guess... Maybe his club, like like a, a a gay nightclub or a bathhouse, gets pushed out, but a theater, I don't know. I don't know, man. But he's not going to realize. But your point is, he's not going to be able to realize a profit from that endeavor. It's going to go to the mob. He'll he'll be able oh, to. Of course. I mean, I don't think he was in it for money anyway. He'll be able to make a living, but he's never going to be able to like really profiteer on on that capital he invested. Yeah, I don't think he wanted to. I just think he wanted to help this guy. However, he might be setting this guy up for. A relationship with the mob, mm. uh, which is kind of fucked up, especially if he doesn't know it, right? Like, he's basically sold this production to the mafia, uh, and and the guy running it 
the guy creating it doesn't really know. It, it's right. like, kind of like what Frankie did yeah. with the movie. Yeah. You know, he, he went out, he took money from the mob, and he used it to bankroll this movie that wanted nothing to do with the mob. I feel like the same thing is happening here. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a couple ways. I mean, there's the... There's a straightforward way this arc could go, which is Paul's superstar boyfriend does to Paul what Paul did to Kenneth, which uh, is, sure, yeah. hey, I've, you know, my, I've, I've exceeded your, your orbital velocity. And now it's like, you know, no hard, no hard feelings are going to discuss like, but, you know, just like Kenneth sunk a lot of his time and treasure, it's going to be that plus mob money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also, like we've been saying, you know, the specter of AIDS is hanging over all this, like uh, that. Right. You know, uh, Paul can make all these sacrifices and then his boyfriend gets sick and dies early into this project. And now he's saddled with two things that are all that he doesn't own as all the mob. And what that looks like? Or I mean, I, I it doesn't seem it's so funny because these guys seem like they're the happiest um, except for maybe accepting Lori now that she's out from underneath CC. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But the, I, I feel like their probably short-term prospects look the bleakest, just mm-hmm. from what I know of, of 20th century United States history. Yeah. No, they're, they're, things aren't... I can't imagine things are going to go well for them uh, uh, with with all the pressures from all the sides. May- you mentioned Lori, though. Right, Should we yeah, talk about I, Lori? I wanted to take it in that direction. Oh, my God. I... I love that scene where she gets told that Cece's dead. Yeah. I love it. Uh, What's what's this actress's fucking name? I can't remember. Uh, I know she was in Leftovers briefly, but she just really pulled out all the stops in that scene, and I thought it worked. Yeah, Emily Mead, I think, is uh, her name. Uh, Yeah, and I I thought she did pretty incredible work in uh, The Leftovers season one. But in this show, she's on a whole other level because she like there, she was showing so many emotions coursing co- coursing through here there mm-hmm. because it's it's got to be a complicated like her and CC had a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a fucked up predatory one. But there was, you know, good times, bad times and the the terror that she felt uh after their last encounter and like you know like i said that that she's feeling his footsteps behind her everywhere she goes and all those that that grief uh and the relief kind of having a war with her emotionally and at at the end of it the relief uh winning out i mm-hmm. yeah that's 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 a hell of a performance to to be able to do that on command for a camera is uh it's a skill that that I think is mysterious and and scary. Yeah, but uh, I'm glad amazing. people have it because it makes for some amazing television. Uh huh. I mean, she was like, like, uh, if 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 Frankie hadn't told her that, and I am a little bit, I have a little bit of reservation for why she'd just believe Frankie because it seems like, I don't know, maybe she just wanted to, and but then Frankie was acting very unFrankie, so like it's it sold it. Yeah, Frankie was having a somber moment right. with her. That's not Frankie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um yeah, that that she like they made it a point that that it looked like she was going to destroy herself mm-hmm. just out of fear over what CC might do to her. Yeah. Um and that holy shit, I guess I am glad that uh Bobby and Frankie murdered murdered his ass because I it that that last encounter just really really got under her skin it did exactly what cc wanted to do mm-hmm. and so i'm glad he died so he doesn't get the last the last laugh on that and i'm like half excited for Lori's future now i know i know it's not gonna go uh as well as she hopes it will go yeah you know she's she's still 
in the porn industry. Uh, but I, she, she at least like is away from the worst thing in her life momentarily. Yeah. She, she, let's put it this way. She has her own life momentarily. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think she's ever had that. She, that I keep coming back my mind in my mind to that scene where she tells Eileen, look, nothing I have is mine. You know, it's all CCs. Uh, this is for the first time her life to live and I'm happy for her. Yeah. Do you, so let's play the what's going to fuck her life up game. <laughs> the I porn mean, industry. Yeah. <laughs> Everything well, you to go. do with it. Yeah. The, the fact that like, they, and they even played with a little bit that man, Larry was really quick to step right back into the pimp role for her when she was like afraid of CC to remember like, he, Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, we talked about that fact that she is, uh, and, and not a legal way, but in this kind of quasi legal way owned by the mafia. Uh-huh. And if you know anything about the starlets of this era, that's not exactly a great thing. And you throw in drugs, you mm-hmm. throw in, uh, you know, sexually transmitted disease, you, th- you throw in like, what do you do? Uh, what, what do you, there's only so many director's chairs that aging porn stars can inherit. Mm-hmm. Like the vast majority of these women, uh, seems like even down today, like, you know, they got a couple of good years and then they get ground up and spit out. And hopefully yeah. you've been able to parlay that like it's some kind of Sasha Gray esque way to a college education right, or you've been leaning it up. Yeah. You do. You, 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 if, if you're smart and you don't get addicted to drugs and you've got financial dis- the discipline and restraint, you can parlay this windfall into a career. But a lot of, a lot, a lot of women don't like, I, I don't know. I could see, I could see flashing five years forward, not being super kind to Lori. Yeah. Hell, I could see flashing forward five years and half the cast is dead at the rate <laughs> things are going. Sure. So fuck, I don't know. Um, we could we could get some of that. Uh, you know, one person who is already dead in this episode is Rodney, which makes me wonder where the hell that leaves Shay. Right. Oh Jesus. Like, she. Ah oh, man. Well, and Irene, like you know, she's he when her and Frankie are talking about like consolation prizes, and she sees Shay's con, you know comatose, like knowing that Shay doesn't really. She doesn't she doesn't feel the love, you know, like in the same way. Like what 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 is Shay's prospects now if no one else is looking out for her? Is Irene going to do, you know, instead of uh, for the sake of perhaps kindling a love affair, is she going to do it just to be a a good human being? I don't know. Uh, Because there's like the look on her face is kind of inscrutable. Like, you know, there's definitely some sorrow and some longing. But um I mean, that was always a fundamental problem with their relationship is like Irene did good things for wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I, I don't know. I don't know what happens to Shay. It's a it's, it's it's amazing how quickly she went from the verge of being healthy to just a complete train wreck again. No, I feel like she's one of those characters who might just be dead in the time jump. Yeah. Yeah. We just lose track of them. Yeah, like, she's I, I wonder, the drain. like Darlene feels like a. I mean, I, I thought the same way about uh, about Ashley, or I'm sorry, Dorothy, that, like, sometimes people would escape from the situation you just won't see them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's good. I feel like Darlene's another candidate where we just might not see her next year. Yeah. And you just assume that everything, you know, her and whether it's with Renton or somebody else, she just got her shit together and was okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I think the number one pressing question that I have at the end of this season is will Harvey be fat next season? Because he's, we see him at his desk, chomping the, the snacks, fries, yeah. Yeah. stress eating. Uh, and, and he, it, there's, 
I, I don't know if you can hear it without the captions, but in the captions during the premiere, he's talking with his friends about how, oh, I lost 90, yeah, 98 yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. pounds yeah, or whatever. Right. And I can't help but think he's going to come back and be fat again next season. And maybe they put him in a fat suit because I wouldn't to. want the actor to go no. back there. Plus, plus, that was like some kind of thyroid condition. Like, I, yeah, I just, yeah. yeah. Don't, so, don't make the actor do it. No. <laughs> Get but, the fat but bastard could be suit hilarious. from Mike Myers. And it, it would be <laughs> right. funny if, if the stress of working for the mafia and uh-huh. all that has, 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 has made him fat again. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it has happened. Because I've got like... Uh, you know, this montage, you see Harvey's wife is still writing, Candy's still directing, Vince is still bartending, Paul and his boyfriend are trying to make art, Darlene finds her self-respect, Vincent's skimming, but this time sharing a bit with Irene, mm-hmm. uh, the machines kind of grinding on in the form of the Midtown Enforcement pro- Project, yeah. uh, Lori hits LA and seems like she's going to fit that like a hand in glove. Um, Larry's gone as audition. Rudy and the horse are like just fucking best buds. Yeah, are they like that's what makes me think that this is all a laugh to them is because mm-hmm. they're just toasting and yeah, like Th- they should seemed... be arguing over what the fuck they're gonna do with these percentages. It's funny because I do feel like that they, I don't, I yeah, I don't understand the context enough because it seemed like the mob did the smart thing, which is instead of going to war, being like, hey, this is bad for business, let's right. let's be partners instead. It's yeah. it's more fun. But then again, you know, you're on the in the back of my mind, you know, all this backslapping could easily turn into backstabbing. Mm-hmm. And what what keeps all that in line, especially when, uh, you know, the because the, I, again, I, I feel like the Gambino family is brought down by like Sammy the horse or Sammy the bull or something like that, like some kind of mob enforcer who turned informant. And, uh, you know, maybe that starts making him paranoid and, and uh, you start getting bodies again. But I wonder if they're going to turn their eye to kind of dominating the porn industry, because I look at. Yeah. If I hadn't seen, you know, the the deal between Frankie and Rudy transpire, I'd be looking at this and saying, are they in cahoots here? Um, mm. Because, you know, they, they've gone in together to purchase Lori. They've mm. gone in together to fund this film that mm. is the next hot Unwittingly, thing in the porn but industry. Still, yeah. R- right. But that's what I'm saying. If I hadn't seen the scenes, uh, I, I'd almost think there was a conspiracy between them to try and really wedge into the porn industry sure. and get their claws into it. Sure. Which may be the next step for them. Um, and then Abby's, like we talked about, sitting and pondering her stacks of mob money. And Vincent uh, runs still Club 366. Just his smile's a lot more brittle. Mm-hmm. And instead of feeling like he's a, he's still at the center of the world, because I think that's one of the things, like, as they pan out and you see all this 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 throbbing throng of people moving to the music, he's still literally at the center of this universe, but... He doesn't have the other things that he's talking about, and and he's not happy about it. How yeah. can you be in this in this type of situation? Mm-hmm. So it's a great end for a great season. I can't wait to see what they end up doing with. I mean, again, hard for me to imagine how they can. It, the the mid eighties is going to be as interesting as this mid to late seventies period. But uh, you know, I don't think I don't think Simon and Pelicanos would be telling the story if they didn't think they had something to say. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, shall we get the feedback? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, before we get the feedback, I want to talk about uh, club.baldmove.com, which is important because uh, Jim and I have been going over our finances, and it turns out we've 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 misallocated our resources, and we're like we're like fifteen percent of somehow we got one hundred and fifteen percent of money uh, to allocate, and we were meeting with some financiers last night, and they're they're talking about taking bald move in directions that we weren't kind of comfortable with. There's 
bringing moving girls into Jim's house, uh, running some peep shows out of his garage. Yeah, that one guy, I think his name, the the, the alpaca, I think was his name. That's right. He had some real weird ideas. Yeah, none yeah. that I liked. Yeah, from the the the, uh, the alpaca <laughs> crime family. You, do, you don't want to. And I, I shouldn't say crime family. <laughs> no, no, no. I, yeah, come on. Yeah, they're 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 businessmen. They're yeah. businessmen. But uh, it's it's I, I don't know. I don't I I don't think the grabbing the girls around is going to really help the podcast. Uh, Probably not. Seems like it'd be a distraction. Seems like it's like the kind of clientele that would direct, would would, uh, would 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 be detrimental to us running a business. So uh-huh. if you want to if you want to avoid all that, you can go to club.ballmove.com and you can be our financiers. Presumably, you will not want to move peep shows into Jim's house mm-hmm. uh, because instead of of that, we we give you other things such as exclusive uh, bonus content, video versions of our podcast, ad free versions of our feeds. Uh, VIP section of forums where you can participate in cool features like lunch with Jim and Aaron. Uh, it's it's a it's a pretty good scene. It's nice, respectable. It's got marble uh, urinals in it. Uh, we want it. We want to keep it respectable. It'd be a shame if something were to happen. It'd be, to it. it'd be a shame if something were to happen to this podcast. You can help uh, that not happen by going to club.baldmove.com and joining today. Uh, let's see. First up is Groovy Dooley. So out of all the POV and personality archetypes we've seen in the deuce, there are two that have been mentioned at least a little by way of writing or after-credit discussions that I've been thinking a lot about this season. First, I've always understood that this period in pornography was hugely developmental in some primary philosophical divides amongst feminists that persist to this day. I think someone like Eileen embodies that general struggle. Can she change the power imbalance such that creating this kind of content is socially and economically equitable for women as much as men? Though she seems optimistic that at the end of the season, we have discussed at length that the culture in the United States still hasn't attained a true egalitarian status for women. So this is like uh, like a second wave, third wave, fourth wave feminism <laughs> clash, and I, I see that in online like it's in, in online like leftist and progressive circles. If you want to throw a grenade into a conversation, uh, m- mention something about the porn industry or pornography, yeah, and and its place in. Uh, you know, elevating or degrading or whatever women. And, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's something that still people are, are, are struggling with. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's weird because even now today, like a woman, a woman porn director is pretty much a novelty. Um, you know, I can certainly think of a few, but, it would hard for it be hard for me to understand how you could within a segment of society that probably already kind of is you know broadly s- centered around degradation of women or ex- exploitation of women that you can in that society that's a subset of a patriarchy like carve it out and change it like mm-hmm. you know from bottom down like it seems like that attitudes outside the porn world would soften the porn world that allow women to succeed within it. Um, but, but I, I don't know. It's still kind of like this very, all the sex work is still in, at least in the United States is, you know, put apart from polite society. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, you know, the, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to make progress in, in, in those types of environments. Yeah, I guess after weed, that'll have to be the next issue <laughs> that the country tackles. Right, right. Because it's like, you know, even among women, it's like uh, there's a temptation to be like, well, these women made these choices and that's what's led to this. And, you know, make better choices, ladies, rather than talk about 
you know how well maybe that is like sell like selling your body quote unquote is a valid choice one can make and it's a lucrative choice it's it's one of the few places in the world where the the wage gap is flipped extremely to the women's favor so i mean shit if i was a woman with a rocking body in 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 my early 20s i would be camming it up <laughs> i would be Make a lot of money i would be yes i would be camming it up and putting that into a college uh yeah. college career and 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 trying to get a hundred thousand in the bank and be a leg up on everybody else but i am a chubby 40 year old man and my my cam prospects <laughs> are, are long long past me now at this point yeah so I don't know. Maybe I do well in the bear market. Do, yeah, do, do, good. Do, do bear like uh, I'm bear sure love bear cam. Bearcam.com probably. I'll have to I check that out. I'll yeah. have to check that out. Uh, secondly, Groovy Dooley wants to make. I think we're probably meant to uh, use someone like Bobby as a conduit to know what it's like to be absorbed into the culture of the Deuce. He has had one of the more extreme character arcs on the show. His ethical speedometer went from zero to stabbing a pimp to death in his mob-sponsored parlor in what I would consider a short amount of time. Uh what. What is David Simon saying about a guy like Bobby? Because you're right. Bobby is essentially a normal dude that got dipped into the acid wash of this this scene. I, I don't know. At, at, at risk of conflating the two things, I almost feel like he's trying to take the the everyday guy's perspective of this too and how you can get into a bad mm. scene because i mean look at the look at the prostitutes right they're they're dunked into this life in a much more severe way than bobby is uh but bobby also has a similar track into it you know yeah. it's just like it's not something you choose to do it's just something that you kind of it happens to you yeah and it does seem like the other is, you know, this is another having these industries that are outside the bounds of society does this to people. Because, like, if Bobby had gone and was a warehouse manager or he got into podcasting or he, you know, got an office job, it's unlikely that it would lead to hiding bodies, you yeah. know, and, and killing people. Whereas when you take these illegal endeavors there is like this kind of fast and loose it, it that that's that's the point it's like the, these are corrosive to like society's own concepts of law like you know we uh, arbitrarily low speed limits making drugs illegal legalizing prostitution stuff that people do all the time and kind of largely get away with it it's like selectively enforced seems like mm -hmm. it does erode respect for all of society's rules because you're yeah. living in this gray area all the time. So killing a pimp because he's got it coming. Why not? Why not? What else? You know, because because what other thing you've got your kid involved. You've already been complicit in the death of a woman that you're responsible for. Plus, she was underage. That's gross. Like, why not? Why not kill a pimp? Mm. Whereas, you know, a person who is a civilian doesn't that's like that calculus doesn't really come up very often. Doesn't need to. Yeah. Yeah, because like if you got a problem with someone, you can just call the cops. Mm -hmm. Hey, there's this guy. He won't leave my business. He's being a loudmouth. He's insulting my wife and my kid. And like just you know, come and the cops will come pick him up. But yeah, you know, you got fucking a sucking going on in back. You just got to get the hammer out. <laughs> uh, Rio. So we put a call out last week to, for sex workers to talk uh, to tell us their stories, and we got we got it. We got one. Got one right. on the line. Uh, they say I'm contributing this week because I was a sex worker about ten years ago, and I had a pimp. 
initially I was operating independently, much like Candy, except with modern technology, using internet ads and mobile phone numbers. I had a guy book me for a session one night in a nice inner city apartment, and afterwards he made it a deal. I could use his apartment as a base, and in return he would collect a portion of my earnings. He had a few girls working at any one time. He, we would have two nights a week each. He would be home out of sight in his bedroom when we had clients. The basic deal was if a booking was 250 he would get 50 the pros were huge. I had security, a single location. The apartment complex had a locked garage and full gym, which we were welcome to use. Also, the use of a fully set up bedroom, supplies, and laundry. Uh, our pimp was a truly nice human being. <laughs> he honestly just got a kick out of being a player and was self-aware enough to realize that. <laughs> Uh, she then says, I have to loudly acknowledge the huge privilege I had in this situation. Not only do I live in a fairly safe and civil society, but I'm a white, educated woman with a good family and a modern society, et cetera, et cetera. Also, six foot tall and physically strong, so I never felt much physically uh, at risk. All these helped me to experience... Uh, the health experience to be quite empowering and a very good earner for a 21-year-old. We'd easily take home $1,200 for two nights' work. Um... So she says, also, it didn't depend on my pimp for my living situation or even my day-to-day income, and that gave me freedom that is truly separate from the experience that many sex workers go through. Uh, Unfortunately, I lacked a financial sense that I now have at 32, and I have not much financially to show for the fun six months of sex work, but it helped shape who I am and how I understand people. I gained a lot more empathy for men throughout this time as it really opened my eyes to their vulnerability uh, that all that we all have as humans, regardless of who we are. And I think it helped many of my relationships with all manners of people. Uh, and also gave me some street smarts that I probably lacked as a privileged kid growing up. So that is interesting. I think what you had was a landlord. <laughs> <laughs> well, Honestly, I mean, like it sounds closer to that. He had a Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So yeah, you, 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 you find, find, find a Bobby. If you, if you're looking to get into the, to, to the sex work nowadays. Well, that's, that's interesting. Like, um, yeah, I never gave it much thought, but it seems like, uh, I wonder how much of that stuff goes on all around us. And we just never know. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, an example that is probably an exception to the, the pimp rule. Like, mm. I, I think that was today. Like I said, it's a very like different said, kind of pimp. Y- yeah. Like, like she said, it's a borderline pimp. If, yeah. if a pimp at all, um, yeah. And I think a lot of people have it much worse. But we talked about their pimps don't come to them and say, you know, if you want to do this, you can. Right. They come to them and say, you're going to fucking do this. Right. You don't have a choice. Right. But it's like something we said, like, you know, how can modern technology Uh kind of fundamentally change the game? It feels like that if you have the privileges that Rio here is identifying where you can kind of, you know, you're not. Yeah out on the streets at 16 not knowing anything if you're like a college kid looking to make some money and and you do like this is this is uh this is something that could be safe and profitable and Mm -hmm. again this shit sounds like it's it'd be so easy to regulate and make completely safe and like maybe it's not a choice you want to make maybe it's not a choice you'd want your children to make but it's not like if, if they do make that choice at least it's safe and the only thing stopping it from being you know, like like Rio is not saying I was exploited and I look back with horror at all these, you know, like sounds like it's a good time that that was a positive experience. Like, don't you want all men and women to get into sex work to have this kind of uh, experience if they're going to have one, you know, like and the only reason we can is because society's squeamishness with sex work, mm-hmm. that it's not, again, something that polite society would would, would go for. Uh, Kate. 
Eileen trying to pick up her son was heartbreaking. At the same time, she rejected her quote-unquote safe boyfriend for crossing a red line the one time and didn't allow him to explain himself, but she compartmentalized so easy, like a light switch. She made sure it didn't affect their working relationship. She can see long-term so well when it comes uh, to work that'll make her big bucks, but she seems helpless when it comes to her son. She's given him up during his critical years. Can she count on him rediscovering her when she gets older, like so many boys do with absent or always working fathers? Mm, I don't know about that. Even then, like, it's not like the absent fathers have a great, like, you know, the cats in the cradle is a song for a reason. (laughs) Uh, You know, you you neglect your parental role for long enough and the kid gets a chip on his shoulder about it. And Mm -hmm. there's no no there's no making up for that lost time. It's kind of an act of, I guess, generosity or curiosity on the offspring's standpoint to bring that parent back into the fold. How do you. How do you see Eileen's relationship with her son going forward? I think she's going to have a real hard time establishing any future relationship with the child because it's a real hard sell if the parents if her parents really want to take a hard stand here and say your lifestyle is unhealthy for this child. I think it's a hard sell for Eileen to make the case to a judge yeah. to gain custody of a child when she is living the life she's living. Yeah. I was about to and s- I don't I don't want to like say that I'm judging Eileen too much. Like that's not my personal feeling on it, but that would certainly be a judge's and the general public's feeling. Yeah, you're saying it. a family law court judge yeah. in 1979 yeah. would look at the grandparents having a stable middle class life and a nice right. neighborhood, and you'd look at the mother who's been a sex worker and and exp- mm-hmm. you know exposed to all this quote unquote smut. And completely absent from most of the kid's life. And the fact that this kid's already suffered negative repercussions in his school and his safety because of that. And yeah, I I think because my first thought is like, well, fuck you, old man. I'm going to come back with a court order because I'm, you know, I'm his mother. I'm his flesh and blood mother. Yeah. But then I started doing started doing the the social math on that. And it doesn't look good. Yeah. I mean, short term, maybe she could do that. But if they want really want to press the issue and get this kid out of Eileen's hands, they could probably do it. Yeah. I don't know if she could do like that stand by me where she could like, you know, show up with a boom box and just try to get him to flee. There you go. And yeah. then go to California. And I think possessions nine tenths. <laughs> uh, but that might be your best shot at it. Yeah. But I don't know. It's interesting because I, I think she's onto something here, Kate, about this compartmentalization that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, her boyfriend, which I think his name was Vince. No, no, no. That's that's, of course, Vincent. Um, whatever. Uh Bubba from True Blood. Uh, I, I think she's right that, you know, once a person kind of has that kind of personal betrayal where the mask slips and it's like, oh, yeah, fucking a porn star, that it'd be hard to have that level of trust and respect again. Yeah, at the same time, I I I get where he's coming from. Just sure. like trying to impress old friends. Yeah. He said something stupid. And it's it's also like you're not... It's it's pretty it's an exceptional thing. Not everyone gets to have sex with a porn star and <laughs> you true. know like I yeah. I and I don't think the women are angelic creatures that don't don't talk about their sex lives and the size of their boyfriends and husbands and penis and all that kind of stuff. So it's like sure. I do I can see why I see why Candy had the reaction, mm-hmm. but also feel like it is you're expecting you're expecting an awful lot for a person to not have a few ribald you know, like, oh, hey, yeah, fucking porn. Yeah, it is exactly what you meant. Like, <laughs> that's kind of, 
comes comes with the territory. Yeah. So, but I, like I said, I under, I understand why that made Candy want to kind of switch things off. Mm. Uh, Teresa from Concord. My one ask going into next season is perhaps David Simon can reduce the number of individual stories. This season felt a bit crowded with some storylines, such as Paul's feeling rushed and somewhat unnecessary. Um, I I think the show it's amazing the show worked as well as it did because it does have this massive Game of Thrones esque, The Wire esque cast of of characters and not nearly as much of a through plot for you know Game of Thrones. You always got the White Walkers that sober that focus things up when you need them to, and The Wire you always had some sort of police ongoing each 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 season with some sort of ongoing police case that 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 tied everything to some grand narrative whereas this mm-hmm. is just watching the rise fall and decay <laughs> of the deuce yeah that's the only thing that's kind of keeping the the narrative train on the tracks so when you don't see paul for a couple of episodes or you don't see frankie for a couple of episodes it's 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 easy to get the the feel like they're they're lost but the show also is really good at you know, doing a five-year time jump and within the space of an hour having you okay with that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Um, I to me this was on the verge of being a flaw, but it's not quite a flaw. So I am, if anything, saying they keep doing what they're doing because, um, you know, I guess the other thing is like we could easily lose half the cast next year. Like it does seem like yeah, all the pimps, could. all the pimps we give a shit about are gone, right? Except for Larry, and he's not a pimp anymore. <laughs> right. Which necessarily means all the prostitutes that we cared about are going to be gone. Um, yeah, this this was not a problem for me this season. I, like, much like The Wire, when I first watched that, I was very confused in the early goings of the, mm-hmm. the series. Uh, but coming back in season two, aside from like, oh, fuck, a five-year time jump, what is this about? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not confused, really, in any way on the plots. I think... They did a yes. There are a lot of them, but they did a really good job keeping up with everybody, almost every episode, um, and certainly when they needed to. Uh, I didn't feel like it was too much at all. Yeah, it's like watching a David Simon production is kind of like having faith in a in a religious deity. Like they work in mysterious ways, and you're not always going to understand. But if you put your faith in it, eventually you're going to see that. They always acted for the greater good, et cetera, et cetera. Saying David Simon is your god, uh, probably the closest thing, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, the the wires and the deuce. The wire is the Old Testament. The deuce is the New Testament. <laughs> Where's Treme? Those are the books that got cut out apocrypha. of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, it's the apocrypha. Generation Kill and all that are the uh, like uh-huh. Book of Enoch and where <laughs> right. there was giants and shit and things got weird. Uh, yeah, yeah we, can't, we can't have fantasy in our, our Bible. Come no, on. no, 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 no. Can't have any Tolkien <laughs> shit in there. Uh, so that is, I think that's a word of, uh, um, let me take the temperature of the room. I don't think we're having a wrap up podcast. I feel like we kind of wrap things up. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited for season three, but we, I mean, I don't know where it's going. I, I mean, feel like we the, talked about with everything. With a five year jump, it's yeah. like, it's. In, it, it's like uh, trying to predict where what's going to happen in season eight of Game of Thrones when you're at season two. Yeah, like that's kind of like with these giant jumps uh, with so much up in the air. Again, if I had 
if if we had some uh, history of modern American culture that could come in and talk us to us about Times Square and and Forty Second Street in mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty three through eighty five, we maybe could get some clues about like okay, which of these characters can be pounded into what archetypes and what roles, but. I I don't know that, and that's 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 considered historical spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I think this is going to be it for our coverage for the Deuce. Uh, but we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we also, man, if you're an HBO fan, you don't have long to wait because in January, True Detective comes back. Uh, they debuted a new trailer this weekend, uh, which mm-hmm. uh, looks continues to look amazing. Of course, Game of Thrones is coming back next year. Uh, we're also doing. Um, uh, the Romanovs right now in the Bald Move TV feed, which you're probably aware of if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, there, we are we're taking a break from the Deuce because the Deuce has to make more of itself. But we are not taking a break from podcasting about television and uh, TV. So stick with BaldMove.com uh, if there's some stuff that we're covering that's interesting to you. Uh, definitely check back with us next year because man, so much television is coming back. Uh, 2018, there's a lot of shows that missed their window, but next year is going to be even bigger and better and more stuffed. So hope hope you stick around. Uh, but if nothing else, we'll see you in the next uh, season of The Deuce. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya.